Hello, my name is Philip Williams. I'm the chairman and CEO of Consolidated Uranium. We're a global uranium player with near-term production and development projects in four jurisdictions around the world, Canada, Australia, the US, and Argentina. We recently announced a merger with ISO Energy and happy to talk to you about it today. Thank you very much, Phil. Good to see you again. Um, right, well, let, let's kick off with the with the ISO transaction, or soon to be transaction, ho hopefully closing the side of Christmas. Um, tell us all about it. What, what were the terms? Yeah, so it's a merger between the two companies. Uh, Consolidated is basically being acquired, though, and, and Consolidated shareholders are getting 0.5 of a share of ISO for every share of Consolidated. As you said, we're targeting closing in early December, so before the new year. And, uh, and, and I'm going to be the CEO of the Pro Forma company. The management team is going to be a combination of management from both companies. And we can talk a bit more about that. And the board of directors will be four people from the board of ISO today and two people from the board of Consolidated. Right. Okay. Well, look, um, tell me, have you named it yet? Have you got a name? It's going to remain ISO Energy. Consolidated will be, will be no longer after the transaction. All, all gone. Okay. So I wasn't quite sure about that. Okay. Okay. Um, now, I've got to ask the question, why? Okay, I, I'm trying to work out who it's good for. You're going to tell me it's good for both sides, but there's always one side it kind of works out better for. So why did you do it? Why this thing? It was kind of most unexpected. Yeah, look, and it, and, and it was, I, I think that if if you followed the history of the company, which I know you, you obviously have, we started three years ago. The goal has always been to build a multi-asset, multi-jurisdiction producer. And along the way, we've we've, as we've done more deals, we've always aspired to get bigger, more advanced, better projects, better jurisdictions. One of the jurisdictions that's been missing from the consolidated portfolio from the up until now has been the Athabasca Basin. Obviously, the top jurisdiction in the in the world, amazing grade projects, lots of exploration potential, existing mines in uh, in production, and so for us. Being able to get into the basin was something we've been thinking about for a long time. How do you get in there was always the question. And uh, and and when the ISO opportunity came up, probably like a lot of people, we thought, well, is this really the way to get in? And as we scratched below the surface, got to know the team better, got to know the assets better, the, the hurricane project, the exploration potential, the light bulb went on and it was, uh, it was a, a great fit for us. I think it's going to be uh, tremendous for the platform going forward. Okay, so you want to be a large multi-asset, multi-jurisdictional uranium producer. I, I guess the word producer is a kind of a slight anomaly though, because your portfolio pre and post this transaction don't have got very long lead items. Let's put it that way. You're quite far away from production. So why why did you feel it's better to kind of go after this kind of like say, going to call it advanced exploration, maybe maybe development type play with, you know, again, lot so far and indicative of long, you know, permitting and licensing process ahead of it. Would it not have been better to kind of go for somewhere else in the world, which is actually closer to production? Yeah, look, so so the answer is multifaceted, Matt. The first thing that I think I need to highlight is we, in our portfolio, we do have near-term production. So in the United States, we have three past producing mines that were in production in the last bull market. They started going back into production at where prices are currently and were in production in 2007, 2008 and shut down in 2009. Those projects can go back in production very quickly. So six to 12 months, we could be producing from those projects. So 
I would argue that's as short a time frame as as kind of anyone's looking at. But at scale, but at scale, Phil, those are not big producers in, in the US, right? And I know you've got the deal with energy fuels in terms of access to you know the, the white mason mill, etc. It's, it's kind of good, but you know, you, you one of one of your criteria was scale, globally significant, right? So again, apart from those. What else, what else is what else what else have you got in the portfolio, or is there something coming down the line? Yeah, well, I think it's a bit of both. So you're right. In the U.S., we could probably, based on historic production rates, we could produce about a million to a million two five uh, pounds of uranium, which is not insignificant. And by the way, we think that that can be done profitably at you know where where we think prices are going, and that cash flow can serve to help advance the other projects. But you're totally right. In in the Athabasca, developing a project is is a multi year um, scenario. And from where Hurricane is, it's it's several years out for sure from from being in production. It's not something that's going to be turned on tomorrow. But I think one of the things that that investors need to think about, or or any industry player, quite frankly, is that there's there's mines being permitted in the Athabasca today, and there's new methods of mining, surface mining, these types of deposits that are being pioneered by the likes of Denison that could actually potentially move these projects ahead faster than a traditional traditional way of mining them. So, so, so it might surprise people on that front, but, but definitely we still need to fill in the portfolio to become a, that multi-asset, significant multi-asset, multi-jurisdiction producer. And how do we do that? I think there's two, there's two ways we do it. In, the, in our portfolio, the CUR portfolio today, we have two projects that, had tremendous, that have tremendous resources, whether by grade or by size in Matouche and Coles Hill. Those projects have historic economic assessments, and and particularly for example, Matouche, a lot of the initial initial work towards permitting have been done. Those projects have some historical impediments to develop to development, which we think we we can make some progress on. Those projects could move over into the development track if we can make some success there. But I don't. I think that one of the things that you're going to see out of this company, continue to see out of this company, is M and A, and you know, we talk about being a multi-jurisdiction, multi-asset producer, and we talk about that for a reason. So the reason is because historically, single-asset, single-jurisdiction uranium companies have been inherently risky, and and we're seeing that every day in this in this space, whether it's negative results from elections, whether it's coups in certain countries, whether it's technical issues that projects are having. And so I think there are companies out there with those projects that are looking for a home a group that they can join up with like ourselves. And so I think I think there's a, a number of different ways that we can fill in that 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 pipeline and uh, and we're gonna pursue all of them. Okay, okay, so, so what I'm trying to work out is what am I buying into, right? I need a growth story, right? You, you guys come together, we'll create a sort of eight, $900 million company. Um, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny when you look, look at what it did to both your share prices after the announcement, it, it, it kind of knocked you brought you guys back a little bit. Why, why, why do you think there hasn't been the reaction in the market to this transaction as you perhaps would have hoped or expected? I mean, look, I think there's a couple of different factors. Let's, if we, if we just take it back before we announced the transaction, both stocks were up dramatically. The whole uranium space was up dramatically. And so uh, the, the sell-off came for all of the stocks. It, I think it came a little bit harder for us, and I think there was, you know, there was a, a spot premium that that ISO is effectively paying for CUR. So, so you always see settle, and then I think at the same time, 
there were some head scratching about the nature of the transaction. What am I buying? Where is this going to go together? Um, I do think that increasingly over time, when we when we spend time with particularly our institutional investors, explaining to them, you know, the logic and where we're going, we're getting a great response. And uh, you know, I would say that one of the one of the, the sort of hallmarks is that is we announced a twenty one million dollar financing at the time. And and we ended up upsizing that financing to thirty five million dollars. So we did get we did get quite a bit of incremental interest just from going out and telling the story within you know a day or two of an of the announcement. Right. Okay. Okay. You you got the money. The money was there when you need it, but it's it's institutional money, and obviously from some of the strategic partners that are involved with 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 both companies. Um, that's fantastic. But again, the markets you're going to need the help of of, of retail. You're going to need the trading liquidity, etc. Kind of move, move the share price. You get therefore going to need to bring bring people along this um, plan of plan of yours, right? So we talked about okay, it, the, the U.S. stuff is maybe near term, but it's it like you know it's it's of a certain size, right? So M and A is a big part of what you're going to be doing going forward. So there's a bunch of advanced development stories. You know, but they're, but they're you know Africa plays. There's a couple of Aussies as well. I mean, you've got access to capital. It seems if people can get behind what it is that you're trying to do. So in simple terms, in real simple terms, what type of company are you? Yeah, I mean, look, I think we're the near-term producer in the U.S. Again, and we'll caveat that with this: the size. We're not as big as as some of the other players. But I think that when you look at particularly some of these restart operations. Their size profile is not really that much bigger than ours. Um, you know, they may be two to three million pounds. We're one, one to one and a quarter million pounds. And then, but what we're focused on, and you mentioned Africa, we're not going to Africa. What we're doing is we're hydrating the portfolio and focused on Canada, Australia, and the U.S. Those are the jurisdictions that we think that that are that are the best jurisdictions, and I think that's demonstrated. And I think that uh, those are the, the jurisdictions that will attract both retail investors, institutional investors, and utilities. So that that's really where we're going to focus geographically. But do you not think, therefore, that like say the ISO energy and portfolio hurricane, etc., and the and the options? Do you think and your own portfolio, you know, Australia, Argentina, US? Do you not think they're kind of fully valued right now? Are people have kind of given you full value for what they've seen on the table. So. You know, the, I guess the question is, how important is M and A to you? Uh, well, so I argue that they're not giving us full value for the projects. I mean, I can tell you that each one of those options that we talked about is worth the value of CUR today. If you look at what they traded at historically, or what they're worth on a, you know, NPV value, those those projects are being heavily discounted for those, you know, as we talked about historic uh, de uh, development challenges. So I think there's lots of leverage in this portfolio, both you know to the near-term price because we can get in production quicker and at lower capex than virtually any of our peers, and in the option up the upside from the optionality of these projects if we can, again if we can unlock them, and then and then Hurricane, it is hands down the highest grade project in the world. The rock value of that project is is the highest of any of any type of mine or resource in the world, hands down, bar none. So there's tremendous amount of margin in that project. And and depending on where you think prices are going, 
there's a huge upside in that project. Okay, but let's take a look at how people, um, you know, view, view companies. Okay, um, the near-term production out of the US, okay, you haven't got your own mill. You're going to be, you know, u- utilizing the White Mesa mill, your energy fuels, White Mesa mill. There's a, there's a kind of cost to that. So in terms of, you know, what does what does uranium price need to be for that to be not not just not just profitable, but do what you said earlier in this conversation, which was maybe feed into you know some of, some of the costs across the rest of the group in terms of developing some of these exploration assets. There's there's that question which I think people need to understand, and then yeah. there's the case. The, well, let's just start with that. Start with that. How yeah, like, people what- view that. Look, I think that we're getting very close to the to the price that will make those mines profitable. If you look at where they produced in the previous cycle and what their costs were, we obviously have to update those costs for today. And uh, and you know we're in an inflationary environment, so I think costs we can we can all agree the costs are higher. But that's structural across the whole everyone that's producing uranium. That's not that's not uh, exclusive to ourselves. I think we're getting closer to that price. And and you know you point out the mill. Uh, there's a cost to that. I think the cost is greater to not having access to that mill and not being able to get into production s- soon because, you know, if uranium prices do spike, you want to be able to deliver into that. You don't want to be waiting around for permits and licenses, building your own mill. Uh, that takes that takes infinitely longer than what it's going to take us to to deliver product, deliver ore to the White Mason mill. Right, but and, but I think so. The benefit may not necessarily be financial initially, but it will be you'll be able to have that badge of honor, which is we're a producer. There's all CEOs come and tell me, oh, we'll get a re-rate when we're a producer, whether they're making money or not. And I think Plain. to you know some degree that's that that's true. Um, but what what do you think it means for you in terms of in terms of the the, the next rung down in terms of how long is the next thing going to take to get into production? Because again, I, I'm, try, I'm trying to say, you know, you, you've argued the case that perhaps these assets are not fully valued on an NPV basis, but you are where you are, and, and ISO is is where it is, and that kind of, um, I guess, perception of the marketplace as to you know what a company's worth is. There's some there's something to that, whatever you argue. But where's the growth coming from in terms of the market perception? Where, what do they need to believe to kind of shift? Your, the company value, the share price, move, et cetera, et cetera. What's it going to take from you in terms of your narrative, in terms of your actions on the ground, in terms of maybe m and Yeah, look, so I mean, let me start with the inside the portfolio and then we can talk outside of the portfolio. Obviously, showing a clear path to the White Mesa, to sending order to the White Mesa mill. And again, we are relying on energy fuels to open the mill up. I think that's a 12-month exercise, but but that's a better question for, for energy fuels. Some kind of development on our option projects. We're working in the background very hard on, on building the relationships, whether they're First Nations or whether they're politically. And so, so, so something on that front. I think that you know if you look at the ISO side of the portfolio, there's obviously development in hurricane and and they're working on a on a concept study and and potentially a pa on that on that project could come out next year and then i think the hidden real hidden gem in in iso is the exploration portfolio and the team so here you have a company that was started in 2016 that put together some of the best exploration projects in the basin that were have not been worked because of the because they were all overshadowed by the discovery of hurricane we're going to get back to that and then on the M&A front, I mean, I believe there are significant creative transactions that we can do out there in the market to fill that portfolio. 
you want us to you want us to do the same thing that we want to do, which is what's the next we want to identify and show the market what the next production asset is. It may or may not be in the portfolio today, depending on on you know what I just explained as to the the, the paths on those those kind of three key assets. If it's outside of the portfolio, let's find it, identify it, bring it in, and and look. I think if anyone's followed us, they know that we're very active, we're very aggressive. We've always gotten other things kind of that we're working on. So I would expect uh, you know that 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 if it's coming outside of the portfolio, it's something that we're going to identify and and, and bring to the fore in a relatively short period of time. Right, and, and, but, and do you think this is going to look a little bit old school here in the sense that you, we've seen people like UBC, we've seen people like Denison through acquisition kind of, you know, drive people's perception of, you know, what it is that they rep- represent, you know, what the, what what they could be. Denison, you know, potentially has some technical solutions, but, you know, it's it's a ways um, away from actually getting that over the line. You know, UEC's got to show that it's got something which, which you know, more than just a lot of names in a portfolio. So it comes back to that question of in terms of how you position yourself for success in a market like that. Relatively, uranium is a very small spe- sector, very small space. We're seeing a lot more M- M&A happening, um, very few big names, and, they, and even they are, you know, don't actually find it that easy to kind of access cheap capital. So what sets you apart from some of those other big names that people might be used to hearing? Uh, I mean, look, I think one of the things that really sets us apart is our strategic investors. We are, even post this transaction, NextGen is going to be our biggest shareholder. They're going to own 35% of the company. And and by the way, they're they're participating by writing a check into the financing. Energy Fuels, similarly, right? So Energy Fuels own 16% of Consolidated. They go down to about 5% pro forma but they're writing a check to, to, to maintain their interest. And so that's on the corporate side. And then on the investment community side, the major investors in that financing and backers of the company, Mega Uranium, Sachin Co., these are acknowledged leaders in the space. They, they've been around, they've seen all the companies, they know all the management teams, and, and they're backing us, putting their name in the press release to, su- to support this company. So I think, again, we're, gonna, we're, we're setting ourselves apart and they see it. I think others will see it uh, once they actually do the work. Okay, right. That connects us place. They kind of, you know, well, it answers the question in terms of what, why this transaction, and I guess maybe what, what next from you guys? Um, in terms of your view of the marketplace, obviously you're in pricing a lot of heavy lifting for a lot of people at the moment. Um, you know, the, we're in sort of well, near down at mid mid seventies now. Um, what's it going to take for the, the the waters to break, as it were? Still not quite there, are we? Or for prices to go higher? I mean, look, I, I well, pr- yeah, yeah. Well, for companies to actually start saying, right, we're going to start signing contracts. We're actually going to start meaningful moves into um, allocating some capital towards trying to move into production. You know, we've we've seen we've seen companies stumble along the way so far and come up with lots of reasons why they're not actually going to get motoring anytime soon. You know, despite prices being in you know, where we are in contract prices has been written higher. Yeah, look, I think, I mean, I think all of this is indicative that it's a really hard space. Like uranium is just not the easiest commodity to go out and build a mine around. And even the restarts that are out there are are going to struggle in some way, shape or form, could take longer, cost more, et cetera. So, um, you know, I do think people are making noise. There are contracts being signed and there are, there are people that are putting their hand up saying we are moving things back into production. Um, 
even at these levels, I do think that, uh, again, I think that it's, I think everyone's going to struggle a little bit. And so structurally, it's going to, it's going to support prices higher for longer. And, you know, I think the general market has to, has to come along too. I mean, even when we sit at $70 uranium and the, the broader market's getting wiped out, uranium stocks have these massive down days and that makes it hard for people to plan and, and know that they're going to be able to raise the capital to do the thing that they say they want to do. Um, so prices have to stay high where they are at least and, 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 and hopefully go higher. I think there's a real reason for them to go higher and then we'll get more. We're getting a lot of generalists calling us, looking into the space, but they kind of teeter. And they, because we've seen this game before, they come in, they get they get burned a little bit, then they leave. I think they need to see that this is going to be a sustained uh, level, and and that it could potentially go much higher. And then we'll get that that capital chasing us, and and then we can then once we have that, we know that we can get the capital, then we'll make the the. The decisions to really move assets ahead. Right. Are you hearing anything else in the market? I mean, it's a bit more macro conversation at this point. I mean, obviously, you're, you know, you've got a bit of production potentially coming into the market and in, in, in the issue out of the US. Have you have you got contracts in place? Are you selling at spot? I mean, what, what, how, how do you how do you run that side of the business? Look, so we do not have contracts. Our whole our whole kind of raison d'etre is to give our give our investors maximum exposure to the price of uranium and we've watched contracts get signed that have floors and ceilings and we say well that's maybe not as interesting for us particularly as you point out we don't have the largest production profile in the world so we could we can sell it theoretically into the spot market at least tied to the spot market without without massively negatively impacting it uh and then at the same time because we're taking our lead from energy fuels so we have we have had a, a bunch of conversation with them about, hey, maybe we can draft in behind you guys on your contracts. I think the landscape changes now. Now that we're part of ISO, particularly because the CEO, the, the current CEO of ISO, who's going to be the, the president of the company going forward, Tim Gabrick, he's a veteran of the uranium market. He's sold, sold uranium all over the world in his previous roles at Cameco. And so, and then, and then take it one step further you know, if you've been following the way NextGen's talking about their contract book, it's it's a very exciting way to uh, to to look at at maximizing value for these pounds. And so we're going to take we're going to take a little bit of a step back, and from this stronger position with with these stronger partners, uh, figure out exactly how we're again we're going to give our investors the highest amount of leverage to the price of uranium that we possibly can. Right. Okay. And then how, and so how do you? prioritize your allocation of capital within your portfolio, given what you're seeing out there in the marketplace, given how you're saying that the market is reacting to maybe price signing. It's irrelevant what companies are, are, are doing to, to a greater degree. And certainly um, a lot of the exploration companies having to, they could, they could sit and do nothing and the share prices move up and down according to price at the moment, it seems. So how do, how do you come at it? Yeah, look, and that is, that's a very frustrating part of this market. And I've been saying this for a couple of years that, that people are going to start stock picking and actually following the companies that are actually doing something it, it hasn't necessarily played out that way although i do think that 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 you know if you look at it we've outperformed particularly some of the much smaller companies the way that we're going to allocate our capital is we're you know on a project by project basis with the view to we really need to advance these projects so that we can we can make decisions hit buttons to go into production in the u.s um, and 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 potentially overcome those those hurdles. So really, I would say, on a on a on a high level, it's you know roughly half of our half of our expenditures will be in the U.S., half of our expenditures will be in Canada, 
we need to show that Hurricane can move ahead and we need to test the exploration potential on some of that other projects. We need to show that they, we need to do the things on the ground in the U.S. You know, we just announced that a drill program completed the first phase of our drill program completed. We announced that today in, at, at Tony M. But we need to show that we need to be ready to hit the button when the, when the time, when Energy Fuels calls us and says, hey, we're opening the mill in six months. We need to be in a position that we can go ahead and, and, and meet that timeline. And then in the background, spending less money, but, but, but important money on, on, um, behind the scenes work at Matouche and at, uh, and at Virginia to, to, to slowly move those things ahead so that, you know, we potentially have the, have, <clears throat> can, can unlock the value in those assets. So, I mean, so I know you've got to go to the contract with, with energy fuels and, you know, why Mesa Mill is, okay, well, you, you said you've got to wait for them to say, oh, the mill will be up and running by X day. So you slide it, because what we, I guess what we don't want is, don't want to see, or you definitely don't want to see is a situation like Peninsula Energy having UEC turn around and go, actually, we're no longer going to be uh, supplying into that uh, contract because we're not starting up our mill anytime soon. In fact, there's no one there to do it. So, um, how do you, how do you, are there any guarantees on that, that production or that production timeline? Yeah, look, it's on the timeline, there are no guarantees. The timeline will be the timeline to open the, open the mill. Um, but the contract is a five-year renewable contract. I think what makes it very different is Energy Fuels is a shareholder in our company. You know, if if UEC owned shares of Peninsula, they would never, you know, I, I can't say they would never have done have done that, but they would have paid, like they would have lost a significant amount of money in the market because of what happened at Peninsula shortly after that. Here, that's not the case. And Mark Chalmers is on the board of CUR. Mark, what Mark really wants, or what Energy Fuels wants, is when they turn the mill on, they know that they have enough ore to keep it going. It's a hungry mill. It needs it needs it needs sources of feed. And he looks at, I think they look at the world and say, okay, we have our minds, so we're moving ahead. CUR has their minds moving ahead, and they're gonna both come together and deliver ore to the mill and and feed it for some for some period of time. So I really think we're part of the strategy for that mill, not this other circumstance that you're talking about where I think it was they, they weren't working hand in glove the same way that we are with energy fuel. Right. Okay. Well, I guess that, that's some, some degree of comfort there. Um, well, like, um, like Phil, like I pre- appreciate the update. And I think more importantly, it's just kind of in, in my mind, to so be able to walk away and go, right, I, the deal kind of makes sense. Well, it definitely makes sense, I think, for ISO in a way, because if you, if you think about it, it, it was a of a certain risk profile in the sense that single asset, single jurisdiction, and perhaps, um, you know, there's lots of things can go wrong, eh? Like stuff, stuff, stuff gets delayed. But as within a kind of portfolio like yours, do you sort of see that actually kind of blending that risk for them? Is that is that be fair to say? Yeah, I, I think so. And and I mean, I think I think that the mindset. Like you're talking about very specific strategy by the company, but I think the mindset of the board of, of ISO and is that uranium is going to be much higher for much longer than anyone thinks. Assets are mispriced, even if they have come, even if they've risen dramatically from the bottom and you want to own more of them. I think that if you look more specifically, yes, that asset part of a portfolio takes a little bit of the light off of it. So that it can be advanced properly without having to worry. Oh, we have to move it much faster because it's the only it's the only thing that we have. We're going to do things right. They were going to do things correctly anyway with that asset because we know that, that you know who those people are and and their track record. 
Um, but I think this takes a little bit of light off that. And then I think the other thing that it does is it, it's a bit of an offensive move where you say, if people are waiting around for, for us to, you know, potentially have to sell the asset or, or do something with it, you know, we don't have to, we have other options. We've got mines that we can move ahead right now. We've got development, other development projects in, in the pipeline, and we're not so kind of tied, tied to it, notwithstanding if you only had to be tied to one project in the world, that's one that you'd like to be attached to. It is head and shoulders, one of the best projects in the world. It's one, it's definitely head and shoulders, one of the best grades in the world, for sure. Um, we, not one of, probably the best grade in, in the world. And that's why I was asking the question about allocation of capital and sort of where your mind, mindset is in terms of how you manage a larger portfolio. And it will continue to grow and people will continue to question the, the, the type of vehicle, the type of company that, that you are, no matter what your statements about, you know, in terms of size, multi-jurisdictional, um, you know, uranium producer, et cetera, you've actually got to deliver on that. So um, good conversation today. I appreciate your time, Phil. Stay in touch and let us uh, know how you get on, please. Absolutely. Happy to chat again soon, man.